Saul bowed before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for the blessings of this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you for yesterday and the ruling. We thank you for all that you've done and the blessings that you've given to this ministry and to those within the ministry. And we pray that we would always serve you, that we would always walk in your ways, never deviating to the right or left, striving to always worship you in spirit and truth, worshiping you and acknowledging you in all ways. And Father, we give you all praise now. In Yahshua's beloved name, hallelujah and amen. You all may be seated. It's good to be here today. I'd like to welcome everybody here. I'd like to extend a welcome to those online. Before I begin my message, I want to reflect on yesterday's court ruling on Roe versus Wade, the abortion case. In truth, I wasn't certain if the Supreme Court had the courage to do the right thing. And as I'm sure we're all well aware now, five or six of the justices, five went all the way with it, uh, showed incredible courage by striking down Roe versus Wade. The law, or the supposedly the constitutional right, that's taken the lives of millions of babies. I'm also proud to know that Missouri was the first in the nation, literally, first in the nation to ban abortion. Now, even though we know that abortion will continue in this nation, we at least know that we have states like Missouri and others that are now taking a stand for abortion, for the rights of the unborn. So to say that yesterday was a great day, or that would really be a gross understatement. Yesterday was, was just awesome. It was phenomenal. For me, when I heard the ruling, I was emotional. I could hardly believe what I was reading. I never thought that would happen in my lifetime. Never believed that as a nation we would overturn that awful and inhumane ruling of Roe versus Wade. But after 50 years, that was done. And I just want to thank Yahweh for that. Thank Yahweh that there no longer is a constitutional right to abortion, and that now is pushed down to the states, and hopefully, prayfully, these people within these states will, will um, do the right thing as well. So again, today, simply want to thank Yahweh, acknowledge Yahweh. Also, pray that Yahweh shows grace and protection to those justices who made this righteous ruling. As we all know, they're, they're hated by many now, and, and we certainly would pray that Yahweh would bless them for their courage and that Yahweh would show protection upon them in this evil and wicked world. As another note, real quickly, I just want to acknowledge today marks 22 years of marriage with my uh, wife, Jennifer, and it's been 22 years of bliss, so... Uh, I'd like to thank her for putting up with me for 22 years. So you can see on the slide, today I want to talk about the Sabbath day. Specifically, that we're not to neglect the fourth commandment. And again, just as a reminder, there will be a quiz at the end of this message. So I would encourage you to pay attention to dates. You hear date? 
pay attention to things like councils, church councils. You may want to know those and what was done. And then just scripture in general. Or as many of you um, already know, the fourth commandment is a bit unique. It begins with the word remember. No other command within the Ten Commandments specifically commands us to remember. Now, obviously, we're to obey the other Ten Commandments, the other nine commandments, but, but the, the, the commandment we find with the fourth is unique because it, it begins with the word remember. You know, based on this alone, you would think that all believers would observe the Sabbath, no matter, no matter what denomination or affiliation they may be part of. But as we know, this is not the case. The vast majority of those who believe in the Bible do not observe Sabbath, but instead they observe Sunday, or the first day of the week. Now, why is this? What happened to make this transition away from Sabbath? Many reasons. The simple answer is, the quick answer is, is tradition for 2,000 years of church tradition, Sunday has all but replaced the seventh-day Sabbath. Most believe that Sunday was changed through the Messiah's resurrection. They believe that he rose from the grave on Sunday morning and his resurrection somehow changed the day we as believers should observe. But what if I told you that I could prove that Yahshua the Messiah was not resurrected on Sunday and those who would use the Pauline or Paul's epistles that Paul was a Sabbath keeper, that Paul observed the Sabbath day. What if I could convince you, show you evidence of this? After all, Scripture says to prove all things. Scripture says to worship him as we find within his word. So in this message, we're going to see evidence for all of this and why we as believers should not neglect the fourth commandment, the Sabbath day. I want to begin by going back to antiquity, to early church history, and also refer to some of the more recent documents. Now, when we speak about the change between Sunday and Sabbath, no one was more influential than a man known as Constantine. So who was this person? Or he was the first Roman emperor who supposedly converted to Christianity. Now, I say supposedly because I question the authenticity of this conversion. Did he really convert? Some say he did. Many say he did not. Well, the transition of Sunday was already emotional. It was this man who established Sunday through his edict of 321 CE. He made it illegal, illegal to do things on Sunday. So I want to read this, part of this edict to you. Again, this is a historical edict going back all the way. Make note, 321 CE. Let's see here. Clicker's not working. Maybe somebody here could replace the batteries for me and bring that up. Thank you, Jason. Got to have a a working clicker. Okay, Levi. You're just going to have to navigate for me here. Okay, so here's, his cons- here's the edict of 321. It says, On the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and people residing in cities rest, and let all workshops be closed. 
in the country. However, persons engaged in agriculture may freely and lawfully continue their pursuits because it often happens that another day is not so suitable for grain sowing or for vine planting. Lest by neglecting the proper moment for such operations, the bounty of heaven should be lost. We see here the first civil law that required Sunday rest. The only exception was to farmers, those who were engaged in agriculture. What's amazing about this is that no honest historian or scholar would ever dispute these words. This is an understood historical document from antiquity. There's simply no getting around the fact that this edict firmly established Sunday as a day of rest. Like I said, this was being done prior to that, but this man firmly established this day in history. Now, what do we know about Constantine? What do we know about this man? Let's see if my clicker works here. Nope. All right. Maybe somebody can look at the other end. So, what do we know about Constantine? What do we know about this man? Number one, we know that he was a skilled politician. Number two, he was a sun worshiper. And when I say sun worshiper, I mean S-U-N, worshiper. As we know through history, he worshipped Sol Invictus. We'll see some evidence of that here in just a few moments. And this was even after proclaiming Sunday as the only day of rest, but he continued to worship the S-U-N. We also know that he was not baptized until near his deathbed, and again, that's kind of in dispute whether he actually converted, but we'll see. In fact, here's a quote, so another slide here. Here's a quote Talking about this man, it's a book entitled History of Christianity. It says there, he, and this is a reference to Constantine, did not make Christianity the sole religion of the state. Many believers today believe that this was done, that Christianity was it. No, he made Christianity legal. He required Sunday observance, but again, he also worshipped other gods, other mighty ones. So as I was to follow under late emperors, he continued to support both paganism and Christianity. So notice that this man, who is now the champion of Christianity for many people, for many believers, he historically did not fully convert. He worshipped both Christianity and paganism. In 314, when the cross first appeared on his coin, or coins, it was accompanied by the figures of Sol Invictus and Mars Conservator. To the end of his days, he bore the title of Pontifex Maximus, as chief priest of the pagan state cult. Again, this is the man who established Christianity. And yet we find historically that this man, yes, he supposedly followed Christianity, but at the same time, in parallel, he worshipped Sol Invictus, and he was the chief priest of the pagan state cult. The subservient Roman Senate followed the long-established custom and classed him among the gods. So he was also viewed as a god, as a deity. So this man, known as Constantine, the first Roman emperor who supposedly converted to Christianity, was not a believer. This man, in addition to supposedly following the Bible, supposedly, he also worshipped paganism. paganism. 
Based on this, there are some obvious concerns with this man's faith and motivation, especially when we realize that, again, he continued worshiping Sol Invictus and other mighty ones that we find in the Roman religion. So while this man may have given legal status to Christianity, while this man may have established an edict requiring Sunday worship, he was far from a worshiper of the Bible. Now, again, even though Constantine established Sunday as a day of rest, this, again, was in motion prior to this man. And what was the reasoning for this? What was the main reason for this transition from Sabbath to Sunday? Well, the main reason was the growth in pagan influence. So let's talk about that for just a few moments. As Christianity, and we know this historically, as Christianity spread and grew, it went beyond Judaism, and it adopted many of the pagan traditions. And we can see this again historically. There's many, many examples of this, where historically they would adopt the pagan customs and the pagan beliefs of the nations around them. As the church grew in numbers, so did the Hellenistic or Greek influence. Now, another cause for this transition was an anti-Semitic push in the early church. In fact, as time went on, many in the church took steps to move away from anything that resembled Jewish, even though, again, we worship a Jewish or acknowledge and follow a Jewish Messiah. Now, I'm going to give you an example of this. If I can transition the slide one more time here. We see an example from the Council of Laodicea. This was in six, uh, 364 CE, so another date you may want to remember. But it says this, Christians shall not Judaize and be idle on Saturday. So you see, this is the church telling the people, don't rest on Saturday. Don't do it. It says, but shall work all that day. So we find a church council encouraging, demanding, really, the people, believers, to worship on Sunday and not to rest on Saturday. But it says, but the Lord's days, which was Sunday, based on the early understanding there, they shall especially honor, and as being Christians, shall, if possible, do no work on that day. So don't not work on Saturday, but if you can, rest on Sunday. So as if, however, they are found Judaizing, they shall be shut out from Christ. Now, if the New Testament taught that Sunday was the new Sabbath, why was it even necessary for this to happen, for these words, this proclamation to go out? Well, obviously, there's nothing in the New Testament. And we'll see some evidence of that later, showing that the Sabbath was changed or modified from Saturday to Sunday. So why was it necessary? Or again, it was necessary because the church wanted to suppress anything Jewish and push this Hellenistic agenda. Now, in addition to supporting Sunday, we also find here that if a person was, was, a person was not to rest on the Sabbath or Judaize. Now, what is Judaize? Oh, look at that. Beautiful. or maybe viewed or maybe seen as pro-Jewish. So we see in this council of the church, again, them encouraging, really demanding that the people would not rest on Sabbath, keep Sunday, and by no means 
express anything that maybe resembled Jewish. As we see here, there was a strong push in the early church to move away from anything viewed as a Jewish. Again, even though we follow a Jewish Messiah. You know, it's important that we understand that the promise we find in the New Testament, including our Savior, was Hebraic, was Jewish. We've gotten away from those Jewish or these, those Hebraic roots. And yet that is the foundation of our faith. It was, it is, and it always will be. There's reasons like this also why it's important that we understand the history of the church, that we understand how these things and how these traditions developed over time. The sad reality is during the first few hundred years of the church, things changed drastically. When we read the New Testament and when we compare that to what we see within most places, we realize that there is a gulf between the two. Now, beyond the history, most scholars throughout the different denominations recently, fairly recently, freely admit that the Sabbath was changed by the Roman church. I'm going to share just a few references, and we're going to see examples from the Catholic, Lutheran, Episcopal, and Baptist faith. So here's um, two examples from the Catholic church. First one here is from Priest Brady, and this was in 1903 in an address, and it He said, it is well to remind the Presbyterians, Baptists, Methodists, and all other Christians that the Bible does not support them anywhere in their observance of Sunday. Sunday is an institution, Sunday is an institution of the Roman Catholic Church, and those who observe the day observe a commandment of the Catholic Church. So again, this is a historical citation from the Catholic Church acknowledging that it was not the Bible, but it was the Catholic Church. You see, it's important to understand the Catholics and others kind of had the same viewpoint, but they believe that they have the legitimacy, the authority to change Scripture. They have the keys to the kingdom, as they understand. They, they're in Peter's position, and as a result, they believe that they can supersede or they can alter or they can manipulate or they can change Scripture. And from this change is where we find Sunday worship. So let's continue on. This is from the Catholic Record, September 1, 1923. It says, Denying the authority of the church, and you have no adequate or reasonable explanation or justification for the substitution of a Sunday for Saturday. So again, the Catholic Church admitting that, look, if you don't accept our authority, you have no reason or justification for this change. It says, A church is above the Bible. And this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. So another record, another example from the uh, church. So the uh, next slide, this is a Lutheran source. It's from the Osberg Confession of Faith, Article 29, Paragraph 9. It says, A, the Catholics allege the Sabbath changed into Sunday, the Lord's Day, contrary to the Decalogue, Ten Commandments. As it appears, neither is there any example more boasted of Then the changing of the Sabbath day, great say they, is the power and authority of the church since it dispensed with one of the Ten Commandments. That's an amazing acknowledgement by the Lutherans. You see, they know. They know. These ministers, these pastors, these priests, they know. They understand historically. They understand how this modification took place. But in some cases, they believe that they have the the authority to make this change. 
and the others, they simply follow tradition, tradition of the church that has been in place for 2,000 years, refusing to acknowledge and refusing to return to the true truth that we find within the Bible. The Episcopal Church, this is a quote from them, explanation of catechism, quote, the day is now changed from the seventh to the first day, but as we meet with no scriptural direction for the change, we may conclude it was done by the authority of the church. Again, there's nothing in the New Testament, but we'll see that. There's nothing in the New Testament to justify this change. Sunday arose simply through the Roman church. Now, this, by the way, is not to diminish the people within the Roman church. I want to make that clear. There's a lot of great people within the Roman church. They simply don't understand what history shows and what the Bible says. So this is not a a, uh, criticism to them directly. But it's important as believers that we understand these things, that we understand these truths, that we realize what history says, that we realize what the Bible says, and we do what's right. We follow the truth. Because if we're not following the truth, if we're not willing to follow him, then there's really no reason to be here. There's really no reason to do anything if we're unwilling to follow the truth. One of the lessons we find in Scripture is that we must go all the way with it. We find in Scripture that even if we we change anything deliberately, that we're cursed. And as we see here, this was changed by the church. One more reference here. This is a Baptist reference. This is from Edward uh, T. Hiscox, Sermon on the Baptist Minister's Convention, 1893. It says, There was and is a command to keep holy the Sabbath day, but the Sabbath day was not, but the Sabbath day was not Sunday. It will, however, be readily said, and with some show of triumph, that the Sabbath was transferred from the seventh to the first day of the week with all its duties, privileges, and sanctions. Earnestly desiring information on the subject, which I have studied for many years, I ask, where can the record of such a transaction be found? Not in the New Testament. Absolutely not. There is no scriptural evidence of the change of the Sabbath institution from the seventh to the first day of the week. We find here several denominations all confessing the same thing. And that is Sunday as a day of worship was not established by Scripture. Sunday as a day of worship was established by the church and has continued on for 2,000 years because of tradition. Now, do we find anything within the Bible that would justify such a change? Or the answer is unequivocally no. There is nothing within the Bible that would justify the changing of the Sabbath. There is nothing within the Old or New Testaments that would justify changing the Sabbath day to Sunday. Keep in mind that we're told within the Ten Commandments to remember the Sabbath. In fact, again, it's the only command we find of the Ten Commandments that begins with the word remember. You would think that with such a command, beginning with remember, that we would remember. But we forget because of church tradition. As believers, again, we do not have the authority to change our Father's word. We do not have the authority to change Yahweh's word. In the books of Deuteronomy and Revelation, we find warnings there about changing or modifying his word. We're not to change, alter, and manipulate what our Father in heaven established within his truth. If we do, we are cursed. That's what scripture says. Well, let's move on now. I want to read what the Bible says of the Sabbath. We understand some of the history there. And I want to 
start with the beginning where Yahweh established the seventh day Sabbath. Genesis 2, 1 through 3 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day Elohim ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And Elohim blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which Elohim created and made. So what do we find here? Number one, we find that Yahweh rested from all his work when? It says on the seventh day. Now, thank you to the Jews and to other witnesses. We know that the seventh day today is the same seventh day we observe today. It was the same in creation. Number two, we find here that he blessed that he blessed the seventh day as a Sabbath. And number three, we find here that he sanctified and he hallowed this day. So we see here by his own example, by his own example, the one that established the universe by his example, he rested, he established, he sanctified, and he blessed the seventh day. And as his people, we're to follow in his example. We're to follow in his example. And there are no other examples like this. There are no other passages saying that this day has transferred now to Sunday. What we find here in Genesis is still as relevant and binding for us today. Now, what does it mean here when it says that he blessed and sanctified this day? Or the word blessed is from the Hebrew Barak, which means to kneel or bless. The Sabbath is the one day a week when we're to worship, when we're to bless our Father in heaven. The word sanctified is from the Hebrew Kadash, which is a primitive word in the Hebrew language, meaning to pronounce as clean. As believers, we're to keep this day holy or sanctified by resting on this day, by keeping it holy and by honoring it as Yahweh did here in Genesis. So we see here that the Sabbath is on the seventh day that our father set the example himself by resting on this day, and he also blessed and sanctified this day. How do we keep this Sabbath holy? It's important that we understand how do we keep the Sabbath day holy. How do we do this? Find the answer in Exodus 12, beginning in, beginning in verse 8. Exodus I said 12, Exodus 20. Exodus 20, verse 8. It says, remember the Sabbath day. Right, there's, there's a command, by the way. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but in the seventh day is the Sabbath of Yahweh, your Elohim. It is thou, in it thou shalt not do any work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your you're a stranger that is within your gates. For in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. We see here that the Sabbath is a day of solemn rest for everyone, for everybody within our, within our household. This concept of rest is actually found within the word for Sabbath. Sabbath. It comes from the primitive root Shabbat or Shabbat, meaning to repose or to cease from exertion or labor. You may want to remember that, by the way. So it means to repose or, to, or cease from exertion or labor. That's what the word Sabbath means. 
As we see through the Hebrew word of Shabbat, the main purpose of the Sabbath is to rest, is to rest from our labor. Our Father in heaven, in his infinite wisdom, understood the need for the human body to rest one day out of science. You know, science is now even finding benefits to the Sabbath, finding that it's good for, for our bodies to rest one day out of seven. It's amazing how it takes science three, four, five, six thousand years to catch up with Yahweh's word. Yahweh knew this 6,000 years ago. Yahweh established this day 6,000 years ago. He understood 6,000 years ago that this day was a benefit to mankind. You see, this isn't something we just simply do to go through the motions, simply because we want to take one day off. No, there's a purpose and reason behind it. Everything within Yahweh's word has reason and purpose. The Sabbath has reason and purpose. The purpose and reason is that it provides rest, needed rest, for our bodies, and we function better. We function better when we have rest. We need that rest, and the Sabbath provides that rest. So there's a benefit. There's a health benefit. Now I want to talk about two commands here fairly quickly. Exodus 16:23, Nehemiah 10, verse 31. We're, we see there that we're not to cook or, or uh, do commerce on the Sabbath. So real quickly, Exodus 16:23. it says, He said to them, This is what Yahweh commanded, Tomorrow is to be a day of rest a holy Sabbath to Yahweh. So bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until the morning. So we're not to, to cook on the Sabbath. We're not to bake or boil, it says. And this is why we prepare our food. We're not to prepare food, meaning baking or boiling on the Sabbath here in Exodus 16, 23. Now, the other example is Nehemiah 10, verse 31. It says, when the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. So we see an expansion here. Not only are we not to buy anything on the Sabbath, so we're not to engage in commerce on the Sabbath. We're not to go to the mall on the Sabbath. We're not to go to Walmart on the Sabbath. We're not to go to restaurants on the Sabbath. We're to abstain from buying and selling on the Sabbath. But we also see here that this extends and expands to the holy days. Now, when I say holy days, this expands to the high holy days. For instance, I'll give you some examples. We know that unleavened bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it has two holy days, one at the beginning, one at the end. And we know that Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, that's a holy day. We know that Trumpus is a holy day. We know that Atonement is a holy day, the holiest, I believe, of all days. And then during Tabernacles, the last or the first day is holy. And then we have the last great day, that's holy too. So on those days... We're not to buy or sell. But this also includes, again, the Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath. Now, beyond the command, we know that the Sabbath is a sign, is a sign between us and Yahweh. And this is so important that we understand this, because no other command is called a sign. Sunday is not called a sign. No other command within the word is called a sign. And as believers, we need to ask, do we desire this sign. Now let me explain to you what this sign is. Or let's read it first. Exodus 31, 13 is our first example. It says, Speak you also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths you shall keep. So we're to do this. For it is a sign, it says, between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am Yahweh that does sanctify you. Sanctify you. He makes you holy. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Now listen to this. For anybody who believes that the Sabbath is this inconsequential command, 
The Sabbath isn't that important. That the Sabbath is something maybe we can do, maybe we can ignore. Listen to this. It says, everyone that defiles it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever does any work therein, that soul should be cut off from among the people. Now, obviously, we're not putting people to death today. But the penalty and the relevance is the same. Yahweh views the Sabbath with great seriousness and gravity. And as his people, we should do the same. We should view this day as holy, and we should observe it in such a way. Because if we don't, we see the punishment here. For whoever does any work again there in that soul should be cut off from among his people. There's one more passage I want to share. Exodus, or Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 20, verse 20 says, And hallow my Sabbaths, and they shall be a sign, a sign between me and you, and you, that you may know that I am Yahweh, your Elohim. So as we've seen in these passages, a Sabbath is a what? It says here that the Sabbath is a sign, is a sign between us and Yahweh. Now, what is the meaning of the word sign? Well, according to the Brown Trevor Briggs Hebrew lexicon, within the context here, this word refers to a, to a pledge of covenant. That's how it defines the word sign, a pledge of covenant. So through this word, sign, we find that the Sabbath is evidence that we're part of Yahweh's coveted people. So when it says that this is a sign, what it's saying is that we are part of Yahweh's covenant, that we are a coveted people with our Father in heaven. That is a message. That is the meaning of this word sign, that we are part of Yahweh's coveted people. As we saw in Exodus 31, through this Sabbath, Yahweh says sanctifies us. This means that he sets us apart. This means that he makes us holy. So through the Sabbath, we find a special, special relationship with our Father in heaven, with the one we worship, with the creator of this universe. We're to follow it. You know what's amazing about the Sabbath is that many people come to this walk through this command. They first find the Sabbath. I don't believe that that's that's a coincidence. I don't believe it's just random happen chance that the vast majority of those who come into this walk come through the Sabbath. And they often realize afterwards Yahweh's name and the feast days. So again, the Sabbath is a very special command we find within the Word, and we're to honor it. Now, one way we honor it is not pursuing our own pleasure. We find this in Isaiah, Isaiah 58, 13. It says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, so how do we do that? From doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath the delight, the holy of Yahweh, honorable, and shall honor him. It says, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. We see here the Sabbath is holy, and that we must honor it in, in a way that is holy. For this reason, our discussions, actions, and thoughts should be focused on the holiness, on the Sabbath, on Yahweh's word, and not on the mundane. Understand that this is not just another day. A lot of people view the Sabbath as another day. Even some believers view the Sabbath as another day. They'll say, I'll go to Sabbath, I'll go to service, I'll do my due diligence, I will do my duty, and I will go home. And it is another day. And I will act and do as I would on any other day. Well, that's not what we find here. What we find here is that the Sabbath is special, and we, as believers, should honor the Sabbath as special. As parents, this also applies to our children. 
Now, I realize children are children, and certainly there needs to be some room there. But we need to be cognizant of this. We should do everything we can to teach our kids to honor the Sabbath, realize it's special, realize that there's a great meaning there, realize that there's a promise, realize that through the Sabbath we are Yahweh's coveted people, realize that we are his special possession through the Sabbath. I want to change focus now and consider some of the passages used by those who support Sunday worship. And this will be, or for the most part, Paul's epistles, but I want to begin with the belief that the Messiah rose on Sunday because this belief is what has led mainly to the transition from the Sabbath to Sunday. What if I told you that the Messiah was not resurrected on Sunday morning? What if I told you that the Messiah was resurrected late on the Sabbath? Late on the Sabbath. Find evidence for this in Luke. Luke 23, verse 56. Now I'm going to read this, and then we're going to go back. It says, And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone where never man before was laid. And the day was the preparation. Now the preparation there, this is referring to what? The preparation, this is referring to the Passover. The Passover. It says, And the Sabbath drew on. Sabbath, here this is a Sabbath, the high Sabbath, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which follows the Passover. The first day was a Sabbath, was a high Sabbath. It says, And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after, and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the command. So we see that the women who prepared spices rested on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day, the second Sabbath day mentioned here, this is not the Sabbath mentioned previously, but this last one here is the weekly Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath. So we can verify, again, that this is a weekly Sabbath here. So again, if we count backwards, we see the weekly Sabbath. They rested the day before that. The uh, women prepared the um, spices and ointments for Yahshua's burial. The uh, day before that, that was Thursday, that would have been the high Sabbath. And the day before that would have been the preparation day. And that would be Passover. Yahshua died Passover day. So Yahshua died Passover day, which would have been Wednesday. Yahshua died Wednesday. So he observed the Passover Tuesday evening. He died about 3 p.m. on Wednesday He would have been buried, as we see through other examples. He was buried before the high day, so Wednesday before sunset. And we know historically, and scripturally more important, based on Matthew 12, verse 40, it says there that Yahshua would be in the tomb or the heart of the earth for three days and three nights as Jonah was in the belly or in the fish, belly of the fish. So when we count three days and three nights, where three days and three nights exist between Wednesday, late Wednesday through late Sabbath. Remember, it says he would be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. He would be in the earth three days and three nights. Now, some people play these mental gymnastics trying to make this fit with Sunday. But the reality is we, we can't get mathematically three days and three nights from Friday to Sunday morning. It just doesn't exist. 
Now, if you can, please come up and, and share that with me. I'd like to see it. But mathematically, it just doesn't work. And again, we know based on Matthew 12, 40, that Yahshua said that he would be in the heart of the earth. He would be under or in the tomb for three days and three nights. And we can get three days and three nights from Wednesday, late Wednesday through late Saturday before sunset. So Yahshua was buried before, thir- uh, before Wednesday sunset, because again, Wednesday sunset would have began the high day. And he was resurrected then on Sabbath right before sunset. So Saturday evening right before sunset. Let me break this down a little bit further for you. So here's a chart. Who doesn't like a chart? We all like charts. So three days, three nights. Again, this is based on Matthew 12, verse 40. So Wednesday late afternoon, Yahshua was taken off the stake and placed in the tomb. And then Thursday, I'll be 15, the first high day of the feast. So there would nothing, nothing happened on that day besides observing the feast. Friday, I'll be 16, the women prepared spices for Yahshua's body. And finally, Sabbath late afternoon, right before sunset, Abib 17, Yahshua rose from the grave. So as we see, scripturally, Yahshua had to remain in the tomb for three days and three nights. And, and very specifically, it says a heart of the earth. You know, some people play these mental gymnastics and they'll say, or oh, but when he came into Jerusalem, and, and this includes when he was on the, was when he on the tree, and, and this includes it. No, it says three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We have to get three days and three nights. And it has to be during when he was in the earth, when he was in the tomb. And you just can't do that mathematically if he was placed in the tomb on Friday and resurrected supposedly Sunday morning. The math doesn't work. The math doesn't work. So let's move on. Let's move on here. So I want to look at another passage. And... This is in Romans 14, and this is often used as evidence for Sunday. So again, the main reason is they will say that Yahshua rose Sunday morning, and therefore this proves a Sunday worship. Now let me just ask for a moment. Let's back up for just a moment. Let me ask. Let's assume Yahshua rose Sunday morning. Let's just assume that Yahshua rose Sunday morning. We know that that did not happen, but let's assume that Yahshua rose Sunday morning. Does that change anything? Where do we see in scripture saying that we are to base our worship day on when Yahshua rose? Please, book, chapter, verse. Where does it say that we're to change the day that we worship on based on when Yahshua was resurrected from the tomb? When the Messiah was resurrected from the tomb? I'm telling you there's nothing within scripture that makes such a declaration. We don't find that. So even if Yahshua was resurrected Sunday morning, doesn't change anything. It's really all a moot point. But it's important that we understand that Yahshua did not rise Sunday morning. That based on the chronology we find within Scripture, that Yahshua rose when? Yahshua rose late on the Sabbath, before sunset. Okay, moving on. Romans 14, verse 5. This is a Pauline or epistle from Paul. It says, One man esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. What does Paul speak on? That if we want to worship on Sunday, we can worship on Sunday. If we want to worship on Monday, we can worship on Monday. If we want to worship on Tuesday, we can worship on Tuesday. If we want to worship on Friday, we can worship on Friday. Or many believe that. 
Many believe that's precisely what Paul is saying here. Many believe that Paul is communicating and saying that we can worship on any day we so choose. That the worship day we select is inconsequential. That we have the authority now to choose which day we will worship on. Is this the message Paul is conveying? Again, most, I would say 90% of Bible believers would say so. Would say that this gives us authority to worship on any day. It's amazing, most still pick Sunday, but... According to them, this passage is saying that we can worship on any day of the week. Okay, moving on. Context is important. And here it's important we understand what Paul is referring to. So let's continue reading. You know, sometimes when we, we're confused, sometimes the best thing is just keep reading. So 14 verse 6, it says, He that regards the day regards it unto Yahweh. He that regards not the day to Yahweh, he does not regard it. Now listen, it says, He that eats... Eats to Yahweh, for he gives Elohim thanks. And he that eats not to Yahweh, he eats not and gives Elohim thanks. So from the context, what is Paul referring to? Is he referring to Sunday? Is he referring to a day of rest? No, he's referring to a day of fasting, of fasting, going without food and water as a sign of our devotion to Yahweh. So we see here no connection to Sunday worship or this false notion that we can choose any day of worship we want. No, Paul's simply saying if we want to fast, great. If you don't want to fast, great. If you want to fast on Monday, that's fine. If you want to fast on Tuesday, that's fine too. It's a personal choice. But this is about fasting. Fasting, this has nothing to do with Sunday worship or a day of rest. This is fasting. And fasting was a personal choice. It was a personal conviction. And it wasn't a requirement, or except for the Day of Atonement, and then we all fast. But other than that, there's no command to fast. But we know that it was a practice of the Jews to fast. They would fast twice a week, two days a week. They'd fast two days a week. And Paul's saying, look, it doesn't matter if you fast, and it doesn't matter if we do fast. And if we do fast, it doesn't matter what day we fast on. But this has nothing to do with Sunday or a day of worship. Many also use 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2 as an example, justification for Sunday worship. It says, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him and store as hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Paul tells here the Corinthian assembly to gather something and lay up in store on the first day of the week. Now, many, again, will say that what Paul's advocating is he's encouraging the people to get the the offering plate together before he comes. And maybe they believe that this would maximize the offering plate. I don't know. But let's look beyond the surface and see what Paul is really talking about here. Number one, it's important to realize that the word day, the word day. So you all see the word day. The word day is not within the Greek. The translators added this, assuming that this was referring to the first day of the week. Or the Greek simply reads upon the first of the week. And again, if you don't believe me, look it up. Take it interlinear. You will find that the word day is missing. It's possible here that Paul could have been speaking about another day, maybe Monday or Tuesday. It's possible he could have been talking about Sunday. But again, maybe Monday. All we know is the first of the week. 
doesn't say in the Greek first day of the week, it says first week. So that's kind of an important point to realize. Now saying all that, this is again somewhat of all a moot point, considering this passage is not referring to a day of worship. At this time when this epistle was written, we find in Acts 11 that there was a famine in the land of Judea. There was a famine. Paul here was organizing food items and food stuff and other supplies, I'm sure, for those suffering from this famine. And that's what we're talking about. Why, again, why would, if we're talking about, talking about an offering plate, how much effort does it take to pass an offering plate? Do you have to pass the offering plate multiple days before service? No. And of course, we don't do offering plates here anyway, but, but that makes no sense. But if Paul is speaking about foodstuffs and other supplies for these folks in Judea who were suffering from famine, that makes sense. That makes sense as to why Paul would say, look, before I come, before I arrive, get this stuff together. Have it ready. Have it ready so that when I come, I don't have to slow down. I can grab the supplies, I can, and then bring them to those suffering from famine. But again, this makes no sense if it was an offering plate, but if it was supplies relief, supplies for those suffering from this famine, yes, that makes sense. And we know chronologically that this was the same time. So again, no evidence here for the Sabbath or for Sunday worship. No evidence at all. I want to mention something, and you may want to remember this. You may see this again. So for those who may not know, these are, these are real good numbers. The word Sabbath is found in the King James, the New Testament of the King James, 60 times. I heard that years ago, did not believe it, so I took out Strong's and I counted it. 60. Now you can go to Blue, Blue Letter Bible and you can just type Sabbath and you'll find it that way. But, but at the time I counted it, 60 times. The word Sabbath is found 60 times in the New Testament of the King James. Now how many times do you suppose we find the phrase first day of the week? Eight times. But none of those times are referring to the Sabbath or to Sunday as a day of rest. Eight times. But again, we find the word Sabbath... 60 times within the New Testament of the King James. I want to move on now and look at some of the evidence for the Sabbath in the New Testament. Possibly the biggest surprise for many people, once they start looking, is realizing that the Apostle Paul kept the Sabbath. That's right, the Apostle Paul, the supposed champion of Christianity, the one that changed everything, he continued to observe the Sabbath. Well, let's look at some examples. One of the best examples is in Acts 17, verse 2. It says there, And as and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Now, this is an important passage. It's an important example. We find here that Paul's says manner, Paul's manner was to worship on the seventh day Sabbath. This would shock a lot of people. This would just dumbfound many, many people. What's the meaning of the word manner? It's from the Greek word ethos. It refers to a habit or custom that is either of a personal conviction or by command. Now, we know in this case that the Sabbath is by what? It's by a command. We, we saw that command. Now, another important fact here is the time frame from Yahshua's resurrection. How many years do you suppose this was 
from the resurrection of our Savior? Five, ten, fifteen? Twenty years. Twenty years, another thing you may want to remember. Twenty years. See, there's no excuse for not getting 100% on this quiz. I'm just giving you the answers as I go through this. But 20 years, 20 years removed from Yahshua's resurrection, and we still find the Apostle Paul observing the Sabbath. Now, why in the world would Paul observe the Sabbath if supposedly Yahshua's death did away with his command? 20 years. Did he miss the memo? Maybe he missed the email or the text or whatever it is they used back in those days. No, he observed the Sabbath because the Sabbath was still the Sabbath. And it was still a command and still a requirement. And Paul understood that. It says here also that he reasoned in the synagogue three Sabbath days. What does that mean? Well, this means three consecutive Sabbaths. So we find in this case that Paul was reasoning in the synagogue three consecutive Sabbaths. Now, one of the most powerful examples in my mind is in Acts 18, verse 4. So if you were turning in the Bible, just a few pages over, but here's a slide. Acts 18, verse 4 says, He reasoned, this is Paul, and he, listen, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and, it says, the Greeks. We see here that Paul observed how many Sabbaths? It says here that he observed every Sabbath. Every Sabbath. Not some Sabbaths. Not once a month. Not every other one. Paul observed every Sabbath. And during that time, we find here that he persuaded both Jews and Greeks. It's important to understand the gravity of this example. Notice here that it says Jews and Greeks. Why in the world do we find Greeks here in a synagogue on the Sabbath day? After all, we've been told for many, many years that the Sabbath is only for the Jews. And yet we find here scripturally that Greeks were there and Paul was persuading them on the Sabbath. Now, just to make sure these were Greeks, in the Greek language, the word for Greeks is Helene. It refers to a Greek-speaking person, specifically to a non-Jew. Let me ask, why were Jews, or why were Greeks, worshiping in the synagogue on the Sabbath? Again, the majority opinion is that the Sabbath is only for the Jews, But yet, we find here that not only Jews, but also Greeks were there worshiping on this day. The reason they were worshiping on the Sabbath is is really simple. The Sabbath was never changed, and they understood that. Now, beyond the New Testament, we know the Sabbath will also be observed in the kingdom to come, in the coming kingdom, after the Messiah returns. Isaiah 66, verse 23. Remember that, by the way, not just for the quiz, but remember that. Isaiah 66, verse 23, it says, And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh, all flesh, come to worship before me, saith Yahweh. We see that all, it says, flesh, will worship Yahweh from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath. To another. Now keep in mind that this passage refers to the kingdom to come. This passage refers to the time when our Savior will be reigning over the earth to remove sin and restore proper worship. 
What do you suppose Isaiah meant here when he said all flesh? Just consider that for just a moment. It's not a trick question, by the way. Some people are probably wondering, what is he, wonder, what is he wanting? Where all flesh means what? All flesh. It means all people. We see in the millennium that all people, all flesh, everybody will be observing the Sabbath and worshiping Yahweh. And we also see here, by the way, that the new moons were also mentioned. So this, again, should be pretty obvious. All flesh means all of mankind. So in the kingdom, we find that all, all of mankind will observe the Sabbath. So let me ask this. Knowing, knowing that the Sabbath was observed in the Old Testament, knowing that the Sabbath will be observed in the coming kingdom, does it make any sense to say that the Sabbath is no longer needed today in the New? Especially knowing that the word Sabbath is mentioned 60 times in the New Testament of the King James and that Paul himself observed the Sabbath, evidence of that in Acts 17 verse 2 and Acts 18 verse 4. Does it make sense to say that the Sabbath is no longer needed for us? When we see evidence in the old, we see evidence in the new, we see evidence in the coming kingdom, and yet we say, not for us. There's absolutely no justification, no reason to observe any other day but the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a cornerstone of worship. It is a sign. It is a sign. It is a coveted promise. It shows that we are part of the coveted people. It shows that we are Yahweh's possession when we observe the Sabbath. So it's just as relevant today as it was back in the day. May Yahweh bless you.